We'll begin this morning by looking into God's Word. We'll look in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. We'll read just a few verses. We'll begin with verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Verse 17 and 18. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you are yet in your sins, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. But then we look at verse 20. This is the game changer. This changes everything. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. We'll also look in the book of John, the 11th chapter, verse 25. 26, these are Christ's own words. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? That's the question this morning. Believest thou this? You know, as we reflect on the resurrection and as we recognize this time, really we're celebrating the most important event in all of human history. All of our hopes as Christians, all of our faith, all of our confidence rests upon this one fact. Jesus Christ arose from the dead. You know, as Christians, we do place all of our eggs in one basket. We place it in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is where all our hope, our confidence lies in that fact that we serve a risen Savior. It's the most pivotal point in all of human history, the day Christ arose. You know, for many, it brings many to a crossroads and to a decision, but we know that Christ is risen just as he said. Paul gives us a pretty bleak picture of what life would be like without the resurrection. We read about that. It says that if Christ wasn't risen from the dead, our preaching would be in vain. Every effort that every person ever made to proclaim the news of Jesus Christ, to spread the good news of the gospel, to encourage others who are discouraged, it would be of no effect. If Christ hadn't been risen from the dead, preaching would be an exercise in futility. It says that our hope would be in vain. We would be found to be false witnesses or liars. It tells us we would still be dead in our sins. Also lets us know that all of those saints who died in the faith with that hope of seeing the Lord someday, if Christ hadn't risen, they would all Die without hope. There will be no hope beyond the grave. But now is Christ risen, just as he said, become the first fruits of those 
that slept, believest thou this? You know, you can be a Christian and not understand everything there is to understand about the resurrection. You cannot be a Christian and deny the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. It's been said that faith is no better than the object in which it's placed. You know, if your faith ends at the cross and you deny the resurrection, you're dead in your sins. Your faith, whatever it may be, your belief is all in vain. Christ has risen, just as he said, that changes everything. We know the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical fact. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Luke, the writer of Acts, tells us this. He said he's speaking of Jesus. He showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days. That word infallible means not capable of error. The greatest evidence of all, the greatest proof of the resurrection is in the eyewitness accounts of those who personally experienced Jesus Christ after his death and resurrection. The Word of God catalogs many of these occurrences at least ten different times in ten different places to different groups of people. We know it said that the first recorded account was Mary Magdalene and the other women as they came to prepare the body at the tomb and they discovered it empty as they turned to leave. Christ appeared to them. After that, it says that he appeared to Cephas or Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 at once. And Paul made it a point to say at the time of that writing that many of them were still alive. What he was saying is, if you don't believe me, go ask them. They'll validate what we've seen and what we've experienced. He appeared to the twelve. He appeared to James the brother of Jesus, we know, was a skeptic. Didn't believe that Christ was the Messiah till after the resurrection. Then we find James being a staunch defender of the faith. Then he appeared to the apostles. And then last of all, Paul said, Christ appeared to himself. Paul himself, he said, Christ was seen to me also as one born out of due time, And he went on to say, I'm the least of all of the apostles because I persecuted the church of God. You think about the influence, the impact that the resurrection of Christ had on the apostle Paul personally. What would cause him to spend the rest of his life proclaiming the very message that he had once tried to stamp out? He had an experience, we know, on the Damascus Road there, He experienced the risen Christ, the risen Savior. He experienced it. That's the greatest evidence. Changed his life. You know, that's the greatest evidence today. It's still the same. Look around. We're surrounded by people who have had a personal experience with the risen Savior. And the impact and the change that it makes in individual lives is undeniable. We don't have to see Jesus to experience the power of his resurrection. We know Jesus told Thomas, because you've seen, you believe, but blessed are those that haven't seen and yet believe we can still experience Christ, the risen Savior, in a personal way. You know, when you're saved, you experience that resurrection power 
for yourself. The Word of God tells us that when we're saved, we're spiritually resurrected. It says we pass from death unto life. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. All of those old things are passed away. Everything becomes brand new. Ephesians 2.1, it tells us this. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The word quickened means to be brought back to life. Those who were dead can be raised up in newness of life. That's what happens when we experience that resurrection power in our own lives. You know, it's undeniable and indisputable. Christ appeared to his followers after his death. That's something even the critics have to agree. They saw something. Certainly there was an appearance and they saw something. But you know, if you're going to deny the facts, you're going to deny the truth, you have to come up with some kind of alternative. We know an alternative to the truth is a lie. They can't actually agree on what those followers saw. One popular idea is, and even some liberal theologians will hold to this, they'll say, well, they didn't really see the risen Christ, the bodily risen Christ. Maybe they saw his spirit, or maybe it was a ghost or an apparition or something. There are even those that will say Christ's body lies in some unmarked Syrian tomb somewhere, but the spirit of his resurrection somehow lives on. We know that's patently false. Again, the Word of God refutes that myth by first-hand experience, by eyewitness accounts. In Matthew 28, we read that after Christ appeared to His disciples, after He had risen from the dead, it says they held Him by the feet as they bowed before Him. They touched Him physically. John 21, or excuse Excuse me, John 20, again, when he appeared to his disciples and Thomas happened to be present that time and he invited Thomas to touch his hands and his feet and to put his hand in his side. He had a physical resurrected body. John 21, we read the account where Jesus met them on the seashore after they'd been fishing and he invited them to come and dine and he said he broke the bread and the fish and he partook of that food with them. Spirits don't eat. Jesus Christ arose physically and bodily, just as he said. It was a glorified body, but it was a physical body. Nonetheless, that's what the Word of God tells us. He's risen, just as he said, as we consider the importance of the resurrection. We'll consider three questions this morning. What does the resurrection mean to the world? What does it mean to God the Father? And what does it mean to the believer? To the world, it means that God's perfect plan of redemption has been completed. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, again, Paul, he lays out the argument for the resurrection and he reminds them, I'm bringing to you the same answer as I preached before. That which I first received and you heard and believed, he was just reminding them again. He said, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. It wasn't enough for Jesus just to be to die and be buried. Christ had to rise again for that plan of salvation to be complete. 
We had a wonderful Good Friday service when we considered Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that blood that He shed, what He suffered for us. That would have all been in vain. His virgin birth would have been in vain if it hadn't been for the fact that Jesus arose just as He said. And because of that, we know that that transaction is complete. Our salvation is complete. Romans 4.25 says He was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So again, we know Christ had to arise from the dead in order for that transaction to be complete. What does it mean to God the Father? Well, the resurrection means that God's demand for justice was satisfied. 1 Peter 3 verse 18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. God is a righteous, holy God. You know, God can't just arbitrarily pardon the guilty. That would compromise His character and His righteousness. That means God can't forgive the sinner based solely on their repentance alone. Yes, repentance is vital in being saved. We know that. But there's something beyond repentance that needed to take place. That price for the penalty of our sins had to be paid. And we know that was paid through Jesus Christ as He hung on that cross, that sacrificial death on the cross. It paid the penalty, but it was His resurrection that proved that God had accepted that sacrifice. Again, God's demand for justice at that point was satisfied. What does the resurrection mean to the believer? Well, we know that That hope of everlasting life, the thing we all live for, is founded upon the fact that Christ is risen just as He said. Romans 10.19 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You know, the resurrection gives us hope in this life. To experience Christ's salvation is the greatest thing we can ever receive in this life. To have the assurance that our peace has been made with God, that our names are in that Lamb's book of life, to have God's grace and His comfort, His provision, to have the fellowship of His saints. Those are blessings we receive in this life because of the resurrection. But we know it also offers us a future hope. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 Verse 14 says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. goes on to say that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And then the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. What a glorious hope. Because Christ is risen. He's alive. We have that future hope of spending all eternity with Him. You know, the, God, the Word of God also teaches us that the soul doesn't sleep in the grave with the body. 
You know, when physical death occurs, the soul departs. The body's left behind. That's the shell. But we know the soul departs the body. And that's bore out all throughout Scripture. Paul emphasized that point in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We have the account in Luke 16 where Jesus told the account of the rich man and Lazarus. That wasn't a parable. That wasn't an analogy. That was an actual occurrence. It says that these two men died. It says in hell, that rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torments. But we see Lazarus, it said the angels carried him up into Abraham's bosom. And we see Lazarus in this place of eternal bliss and rest. And there was this great gulf fixed between them that couldn't be crossed over. So we see one example, the soul departs the body. Luke 23, this is probably one of the most beautiful examples in God's word. It tells about that thief on the cross. And as Jesus was there Dying between those two thieves, it says, the last few moments of this man's life, he turned to the Lord with a repentant heart and he realized he deserved to be on that cross and he called out to the Lord and he said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I think of some of the most beautiful words that were ever spoken by Jesus. It says, today, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So we see the soul departs the body upon death. Resurrection is when that soul and that body will be reunited. The Word of God also tells us that every individual, every individual, everyone who ever lived will one day be resurrected. It says some to honor and glory and others to everlasting shame and contempt. So the Word of God lets us know there's two different resurrections for two different groups of people. The first resurrection we read about is in Luke 14, verse 14, and the Lord refers to this as the resurrection of the just, or the first resurrection. We know this to be the rapture of the church. We already read about that. That's when Christ shall descend with a shout, with a trumpet blast, and all the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain, those who have that same hope, those who've surrendered their lives to Christ, to the Christian, will be caught up in the air. That's the first resurrection. That's the one we want to be a part of. Also mentions the second resurrection. John 5.29 refers to it as the resurrection of damnation or the second death. It says, at that time, the wicked dead will be raised at that day to stand before that great white throne of judgment. Revelation 20 says, the dead, both small and great, shall stand before God and judgment at that time will be pronounced. It says that the sea will give up the dead and death and hell and all of those who've rejected Christ, all of the God-haters, all of the scoffers, all of the resurrection deniers, all who failed and refused to bow their knee to Jesus Christ will one day face God in judgment. Their fate will have been sealed. It says that second death or that second resurrection, it says, are for all they that have done evil. Here's the glorious news. We don't have to be a part of that second death or that second resurrection. 
Jesus, by rising from the dead, He conquered death, hell, and the grave. It said Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. All who've had a spiritual resurrection can escape that second death or that second resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who hath part in the first resurrection upon whom the second death hath no power. That's all made possible because of Christ's resurrection. Because I live, he shall live also. We have a choice. Because Christ has risen, just as he said, we have a choice as to where we'll spend eternity. You know, Hebrews also tells us, it says, it's appointed unto every man once to die, but after death, the judgment. Well, we are anticipating that first resurrection. It's a very good possibility Jesus Christ could come and some here may never taste death. But if the Lord chooses to tarry, and he could, several years from now, we will all face the inevitable. We'll face death. It's an inescapable fact. There's that old saying, there's two things you can be guaranteed of, death and taxes. And the IRS can even get you after you're dead. They impose a death tax now. But the fact is, at some point we will all face death, even though we can't escape its certainty because of the resurrection of Christ. We can escape the consequences of death. You know, we may all suffer the same fate. We don't have to suffer the same destination because Jesus Christ rose again, paid that price, made a way so that we could have eternal life. What does Jesus' resurrection mean to you this morning, personally? You know, Paul said that the preaching of the cross, and that would include the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he said, to those that perish, it's foolishness. Ah, oh, but to those who believe, it is the power of God unto salvation. Thank God He's risen just as He said. We serve a risen Savior he validated every promise in His Word. And we can put our faith and our confidence and hope in that risen Savior. We know what Jesus did on that resurrection morning, that third day in that tomb. An old-timer said He got up, He got out, and He wants to get in. That's the glorious news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Lord wants to get into your heart and life. Jesus had to roll away one stone to get out of that tomb. You know, you might have to roll the stone out of the way of your heart for the Lord to get in, but that's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to come in and resurrect you, raise you up in newness of life. If you don't have that hope this morning, you can leave knowing that your sins have been forgiven. The Bible says uh, you can pass from death unto life this morning. What You're never going to have a better time and on Resurrection Day to experience His power in being in God's house, this morning the Lord extends an invitation. It says He stands at the door and knocks. If you're hearing that knock this morning, open your heart's door. Believe. Lay aside that unbelief and that doubt. Invite Christ to come in and He will resurrect you this morning. We'll close with one more promise. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead shall dwell in you, 
He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit, which dwelleth in you. Thank the Lord we serve a risen Christ. This morning, you can know this risen Christ as your Savior. You know, it's more than just a head knowledge. You can have a heart knowledge. You can believe in the resurrection, but you can know the Christ who rose from the dead this morning. The Lord invites you to come. Let's uh, come seek the Lord if you're saved. Thank the Lord. Thank Him for that hope that we have that because He lives, we can live also. We're going to sing song 332. And we open these altars for prayer. We come and invite you to come and seek the Lord today.